You know, this is a great book, this Advent book. So you need to pick one up. It's a hard copy for your family to read over lunch or whatever, breakfast. It's made particularly right here at Forest View for Forest View. So it's not a mass-produced thing from anywhere else. So get one, okay? Now, I'm to light this second candle today. Oh, the matches are back here. And uh, the first candle is the candle of hope. We lit this last week. And um, so the, the gist was this, that it's Jesus Christ who gives us hope in a world of despair. There's a lot of despair in the world. But Jesus is the source of our hope. Even in the midst of the fog, even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances of life, where do you go for hope? We go to Jesus. Because he alone has the words of eternal life. So Jesus gives us hope in a world of despair. And this second candle is the candle of, oh my goodness, there's hardly any wick there. This might, hopefully, the peace. You know what? The peace that Christ gives actually works, even if this candle doesn't. Um, uh, okay. Well, I'm just going to uh, go like this. <laughs> We thank the Lord for the peace of Christ. <laughs> um, and we'll fix that before next week. All right. Peace. This, the theme today, you'll notice during this month of December, is that we're going to be talking about how Jesus actually turns things over. How there are certain things that are certain ways in our world that are broken, that are wrong. And Jesus, in the midst of us living in all of this stuff, he begins to turn things over and to make them right. So he brings hope in, in places of despair. And he brings peace in places where there's polarization and where there is division. Um, and this peace that he brings is not based on our circumstances. It's not based on just how life's going for me at this moment and it's going really well so I have peace and then it's going to go badly maybe afterwards. But the peace is based upon, founded, rooted in the person of our faithful, faithful God. The God of peace who gives us peace. So when we talk about polarization, about the fact that we live in a world where there's polarization... Uh, we're not talking about polarized sunglasses. We're talking about polarized people. People with vastly different, opposing points of view on all kinds of other things. And I wonder, do I need to convince you that we're living in a polarized world? I think I could prove it right now. I'm going to say one word and see if there's any reaction at all from you. Trump. Do you see? <laughs> Somebody voted for him. <laughs> well, you know what? We will have a whole variety of opinions on this, right? And we are polarized, and there's polarization in this nation to our south, and there's polarization in our own nation too. So it's very interesting that when Jesus came into the world, he, it was in a very polarized world that the people of Israel, where Jesus was born, they were occupied. There was an occupied people over them, the Romans. And the Romans really hated the Jewish people. And the Jewish people weren't very fond of the Romans either. And in fact, the Jewish people thought that pretty much everybody else who were non-Jews, 
those Gentiles out there. There was really something wrong with all of them, and there was this polarization. And the Gentiles weren't too friendly towards the Jewish people either. And Jesus comes into the midst of this, and he's declared to be the prince of peace. And the angels come and they talk to the shepherds out in the field, and they say, peace on earth. Jesus comes to bring peace in the midst of polarization and division because he is the prince of peace. And so the idea of peace then has to do with this, the Hebrew concept of shalom. Can you say shalom? Shalom. Shalom, it's a lovely greeting, right? It means peace, joy, I hope things are going well for you. But shalom itself... Jesus comes with the idea that we will live in shalom. Not that everything will go well for us, but that whatever happens to us, we will have the peace of God experientially in our lives, even in the midst of the most awful circumstances. The peace of God, because it's not contingent upon our circumstances. It's contingent upon the faithfulness of our loving God. Jesus longs to bring his peace and his harmony and his delight into our lives, I think on four levels. One is he longs to give us peace with God, first of all. That there's no issue there between us, just to know that God has really forgiven us and received us into his family. Peace with God is a beautiful thing. And secondly then, out of that comes the idea that we can have actually have peace with other people. We can experience peace in our relationships, in our marriages, in our families, in our, our neighborhoods, in our church. Peace with other people. And then thirdly, there's this peace within ourselves. We live in a time when people are very, very troubled within themselves. And God longs to come and give us his peace just deep within ourselves so that we have that. And then there's peace also, fourthly, peace with creation. Because as humans, when we were created, we were given the responsibility to be stewards over creation. Not to use and abuse, but to use and care for all of creation. And Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and he begins then with this inner peace. That actually, the, the inner he longs to give us this inner peace of our heart and our soul and our spirit. And then out of that, as we have the peace of God coming into our lives, that peace just kind of spills out and touches the lives of other people in our world. So we start to make a difference for Jesus in our world, wherever we are. As his peace spills out of us and touches others. Did I say peace is not rooted in our circumstances? Did I say that? <laughs> because it's not. And Christians, we know this. Christians face all the same circumstances as everybody else in the world. Are you with me? We're not guaranteed a stained glass kind of life, trouble-free, smooth sailing. Not at all. But our peace then, if it's not rooted in our circumstances, must be rooted in a personal relationship with the Prince of Peace, with Jesus. Does this make sense? 
He's the God of peace. Jesus brings peace in an age of polarization and division. And Mary is the first installment of this. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary, the mother of God in the flesh. Mary. So I'd like to read to you from Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And just before I read this, I think it's going to come up. There it is. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of a hard copy person. So I'm going to read from, this is a Bible. Okay, <laughs> and I'm going to read from this in a minute, but I, I want to preface this with this comment. No other event in all of history is as significant as the coming of Jesus Christ to our little, tiny, bluish-green planet. What God did in the beginning when he spoke and created the universe... And that was a big event. <laughs> Are you with me? And what God will do in the end when he comes back and when he creates new heavens and a new earth, that's going to be a big event. But neither of them compares to what God did in the middle. When he enfleshed himself and came here in the person of Jesus Christ. It's incredible. When we compare to what Jesus did and coming here in the birth of Mary's child, because in this birth, the creator of the universe personally, he personally entered the full experience of our human flesh and blood existence. The maker of all things was born into this world as one of us. Flesh and blood, God in the flesh, remarkable. And we realize then that um, as we read this passage in Luke chapter 1, that this is the story of Luke telling us actually what happened. It's not fiction, it's history, his story. And uh, Dr. Luke tells us that it was actually during the reign of Caesar Augustus when this first, when this, all this happened. And this Caesar, Caesar Augustus, reigned from 31 BC before Christ to 16 AD. So it's 45 years of Roman rule. He ruled Rome, not just the city of Rome, but the whole empire of Rome. And during this time, like that was basically the whole Mediterranean area, okay? And he ruled it all. And during this time, he introduced Pax Romana, which was the Roman peace which ushered in the golden age of Roman literature and Roman architecture. So it was while this guy, Caesar Augustus, and you'll read that in Luke 2 if you get there, uh, that all this happened. So in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you, are you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. The angel Gabriel then comes to Nazareth, this town which is just south of the Sea of Galilee. Some of you were there just recently, standing right in that place. Nazareth was a busy place. We probably think of it as a sleepy backwoods kind of a village with nothing happening, but nothing could be farther from the truth. At that time... Rome was building a, a major administrative outpost not far from there, and Nazareth was the supply town 
for this big construction project. So there were carpenters and stonemasons, and you can go on and on with this. And all the stuff that comes with a thriving boom town and men away from their families. Think of the Wild West, if you want. So, this angel comes to this young girl, probably in her teens, likely 16 to 19, because there was two stages to the marriage process for the Jewish people. Between 16 and 19, a girl would be pledged to be married or betrothed or, or um, what's the word? Yeah, engaged, thank you. And uh, then about a year later or so, she'd be married, okay? So, and the angel comes and says, Hail Mary, full of grace. Our Lord is with you. Uh, greetings, Mary. You're highly graced from God. You're highly favored from God. And verse 29 up there says that Mary was understandably Shaken, she was greatly troubled, we have it here, confused or perplexed. And so she wondered. Actually, the Greek word that's used for wondered is this word, dialogizeto, meaning she's dialoguing in her own mind about, she's, she's confused, she's wondering, dialoguing, reasoning, debating, considering what on earth could this greeting mean. She's trying to reckon up various explanations uh, or reasons that could make sense to her. So I want you to take note that for Mary, she gets this news, and this is not easy news. This is really confusing. By the way, only Matthew and Luke tell the Christmas story. Did you know that? Mark and John do not tell the Christmas story. And every time Matthew and Luke talk about an angel appearing before somebody, the first words the angel says are, <laughs> do not be afraid. So we're not talking about angels that are these little kind of cherubs with these tiny wings, you know, that you see sometimes in pictures. We're talking about a mighty creature of God emanating light and appearing in some kind of a weird, out-of-this-world kind of a way, and people were afraid. So the angel says, Mary, do not fear. Mary uh, has only recently been engaged to a carpenter named Joseph, and they have not slept together. And now that she's going to be pregnant, this troubles her. We all understand this. Especially in Nazareth, a town known for its brothels and its houses of prostitution. Later, somebody's going to ask, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because it had a reputation. And even more unsettling is this description of the child. So if we pick it up at verse um, 31, well, it's 29. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. There it is again. You'll be with child and give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. And he'll be great. The word is mega. Actually, Luke uses that term a lot when he's talking about Jesus. He's mega. He's great. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high God. Nobody higher than this God. 
And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. That's over Israel. And his kingdom will never end. Even more unsettling, then, is the description of this child, mega, great. It's incredible. Can you put yourself into Mary's shoes? My child, the son of God, my child, a king, and a king who will even have an everlasting kingdom. So in verse 34 comes the obvious question, right? Verse 34. How will this be, Mary asked, the angel, since I am a virgin? Mary knows where babies come from, okay? You with me? She knows how pregnancy happens. She's pre-modern science, but she is not stupid. She, do you realize Mary's the first cynic of the virgin birth? <laughs> Joseph is the second cynic of the virgin birth. So join the club if you're cynical about the virgin birth. They had not had sexual intercourse. They were, and Mary was not sleeping around with the construction workers. How can this be since I'm a virgin? And so the angel tells her, verse 35, look at this. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High God will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born in you will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month of pregnancy. For nothing is impossible with God. Remarkable. The language that the angel uses is reminiscent of Genesis chapter 1, when God is creating the universe, that the Holy Spirit hovers over the waters, overshadows, and God is doing a unique creative event as he speaks and brings the universe into being. There's similar language that's used here. A miraculous creative act was happening at the creation of the universe. And just so, a miraculous creative act of the living God is happening here with Mary. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary, God is doing something new here. Something that only God can do. And you will become pregnant by a new creative act of the power of the Most High God. Miraculous. And consider Mary's state for a moment. She's in a male-dominated culture. As a single woman, she has no access to the legal, political, or economic system unless she's represented by an adult male. Doesn't seem right, does it? Mary was powerless and pregnant through very strange means. Can you consider trying to explain the virgin birth to somebody? Really. 
One writer says Mary is in no man's land. She is a betrothed woman, therefore she's no longer under her father's care. And she's not married yet, so she's not really under Joseph's care either. Who will take up her case and help her? Ah, the Lord God Almighty will. And so she says to him this remarkable thing in verse 28. Can you see it? 38. I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. I didn't know we were going to sing this song immediately before this. I surrender. Was that it? I surrender. Do you hear, Do you hear her saying this? Look, I surrender. You can have all of me, God. I, I just give my whole life to you. I surrender it all. Basically, what she's saying is, not my will, but yours be done. Is that reminiscent of anybody to you? As Jesus in the garden before he goes to the cross, isn't it? Not my will, but yours be done, O oh God. This is remarkable. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Mary is from humble, agrarian roots. Uh, we would have chosen probably somebody who had, you know, a more, from a more established family or somebody who understood royalty and power if this was going to be, you know, a king coming in. Um, but no, according to the rest of the world, Mary is a little nobody, but God chooses her. Do you ever feel like you're a nobody in the big world and God can't really do anything significant with you? You'd be really mistaken if you ever thought that. And the way God comes through Mary, through a virgin womb, there's no male sperm to fertilize the ovum. In fact, there's no male involved at all, really. It's like Joseph is the token male, right? In a male-dominated, chauvinistic society, this doesn't fit the paradigm at all. And it's like God is whispering, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. God does not work in expected ways through the power structures of this world. He still comes to those who say what Mary said. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. This may sound passive to you, Surrendering may say, okay, there's nothing I can do. Okay, Surrendering to God is anything but passive. It is so extremely active. It's saying, God Almighty, you're the ruler of the universe. I will do everything to follow after you, to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love my neighbor of myself. It is so active. But at the same time, we realize we cannot be and do what we're called to be and do on our own. Are you with me? Mary realized this. She couldn't be who God wanted her to be on her own, and she couldn't do what God was going to call her to do on her own. She knows that hardships are ahead, trying to explain the virgin birth, and just in a little while, someone is going to say to her, Mary, a sword will pierce your heart. 
as you go through life with Jesus. But she chooses by faith to submit herself to the sovereign and gracious power of God, the God who loves her and cares for her and will be with her through it all. So I want to ask the question today, how is your heart? How is your heart attitude toward the mighty, loving God of the universe? The one who made you, the one who gave you life, the gift of life, the one who's giving you breath right now, the one who came here in the person of Jesus, who lived a perfect life, died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, the one who didn't stay dead in the grave, but rose again with incredible power and ascended up into the center and core of the universe where he prays for you, where he prays for you because he loves you and he wants this relationship with you. How's your heart today toward Mary's son, the son of God, God the son, Jesus Christ? The only way to peace is to be vitally connected to the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. Advent is a time of waiting. We don't experience perfect peace. Not one of us. And I know with my own heart, when I look at my own heart, there are times when I just say, I want my will. I want my will. Until I realize again that I can't be the person God wants me to be, and I can't live the life God wants me to have unless I submit to him and yield to him and say, not my will, but yours be done. Let's pray. Lord God, we hear Mary say today, whatever you want, Lord, I'll, I'll do it. May it be to me as you have said. I'm the Lord's servant. I give my life to you to find the eternal kind of life that you've created me for. So Lord, as we come here just now, we ask that you'll work in us as you desire, that we can each one of us say, not my will, but thine be done. Would you forgive us, Lord, we pray, when we say, not your will, but mine, but mine be done. And we thank you for Jesus, the first one who said, not my will, but thine be done. As you face the cross, Lord Jesus, the holy, sinless, spotless lamb of God, preparing to take the sin of the world upon you, Lord Jesus. The holy one saturated in the sin of the world, all our brokenness, all our shame. You willingly, deliberately suffered the cross so that we can be forgiven and washed clean and find the eternal kind of life that you want us to have. And you considered this totally worthwhile because you thought us totally worthy of that sacrifice. We're amazed at you, Lord. We're thankful for Mary. We're thankful for Mary's son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask that you will cultivate in us all this heart of 
submission to you, yielding to you, following to you, following you in all things. And we ask, Lord, that as we prepare our hearts now for this communion, that we will remember the attitude that we have as we come to take this bread and take this cup, the attitude of Jesus, the attitude of Mary, that you are God above, we are not God. And we are designed to follow you and love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to share your love and truth around with others in our world. Lead us now, we pray. We yield ourselves to you again in Jesus' name. Amen.